0: And Father that is true that is true and sufficient for all things that the cross of Jesus Christ was enough for the work of God to be accomplished the perfect life of your Son fully God yet fully man coming to this earth willing to die humbling himself to the point of death even death on a cross the most brutal form of death and yet he did that for us that those who confess with their mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he is risen from the grave, you will be saved because the cross was enough by the grace and love of Jesus Christ, not by works so that we can boast like we somehow earned it. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, oh God, have your way in this place. Continue to meet with us. Thank you for the beautiful spirit-led worship that we have just had the privilege of getting a taste of heaven from. So Father, be with my mouth now. Guard me from error. Say what you want to say. That you would find a church that very quickly and joyfully, eagerly humbles themselves under the authority of your word and says, Lord, speak to me. Lord, change me. That we would not puff ourselves up in pride, but in humility say, God, I need you. Increase my faith. Increase my faith. We give you all the praise and glory for what you have been doing and what you will continue to do here today and long after we leave this place. In Jesus' name, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, we had the real privilege last week, church, of kicking off our new and final uh, sermon series for the summer. Five weeks studying the miracles of Elisha, and this series is called Fuel for Our Faith. Fuel for our faith, the miracles of Elisha. Now, as I said last week, really, really, uh, the titles of this series should be uh, The Miracles of God Through Elisha. Just like the book of Acts says, Acts of the Apostles, it really should be Acts of the Holy Spirit Through the Apostles. Why? Because each of the miracles that we, have, we are going to be unpacking over the next four weeks points to an all-powerful, almighty God who, loved ones, is always the hero of every story. Amen? It is not you, it is not me, it's not even Elisha, it is our Savior. And so last week we looked at the call of Elisha and the implications for how we are to Kill the cows and burn the plows and follow the call of God for our lives faithfully. And this week, we look at the outflow of that and we look at what it means to be walking by faith. Walking by faith. So, okay, so, Lord, you're calling me on this, but how do I actually walk by faith? Now, recall Hebrews eleven six says this. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. That's a big deal. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And not only that, 2 Corinthians 5.7, which we're going to unpack today, he says, as Christians, we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. Remember, loved ones, our faith is a very big deal to God. His glory is at stake in and through our lives. And so that's why the title of this message, Walking by Faith, 2 Kings Chapter 3, verses 1 to 20. And if you do not have a Bible in front of you, trust me, we're going to take a walk through a coalition of three armies today. The battlefield is set. You're going to want a copy of God's Word in front of you this morning. Put your hand up. Our ushers are going to come forward right now. And put a copy of God's Word in your hand so you can follow along. Alright? 2 Kings chapter three, verses one to 20. So all of this, if faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And God calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. Even Romans fourteen twenty three says, whatever's not done by faith is sin. Okay, big deal. Everyone say big deal. That's a big deal to the Lord. We have to ask the question, it begs the question, what does it mean to walk by faith? If you've been in the church for a while, you can probably spout off those verses. But what does it actually mean to walk by faith? I mean, how do you know? If I asked you the question, are you walking by faith? How do you know if you're walking by faith? How do you know? Well, we have to get some clarity first off. Good place to start is get clarity. Clarity on what God says faith is. Hebrews 11.1, 1. remember this from last week. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, that's God's biblical definition of faith. But how do we practically apply that? So what we're going to do, as we started last week, and we'll work with this definition all throughout the series, based on Hebrews 11.1. 1. Here's a street-level, practical application definition of faith. Here it is. Ready? You'll see it on the screen. Choosing. Faith is a choice, by the way. Everyone say, faith's a choice. Uh-oh, let's go. Faith's a choice. Love you, love you. Faith, choosing to believe God's word and acting upon it. Choosing to believe God's word and acting upon it in his power. That's key. Otherwise, it's foolishness. In his power, no matter how I feel, because God is glorified and promises a good result. There's your street-level definition of faith from Hebrews 11.1. One. Choosing to believe God's word Not my perceptions Not my feelings Not the so-called wisdom of the flesh Or wisdom of society Choosing to believe God's word His promises And acting upon it in his power Because I can't do it on my own We have no faith on our own Apart from him we can do nothing And no matter how I feel Because God is glorified and promises a good result But here's the problem most Christians want to see God's faithfulness, but they don't know how to walk in faith in order to see it in their lives as God intended. Most Christians want to see God's faithfulness. I'm sure many of us, even in this room, have prayed prayers. Lord, show me your faithfulness. But we don't know how to do that. Or, or here's the other, other aspect of that. Most Christians want to see God's faithfulness, but they actually don't want to walk in faith. They actually don't want to walk in faith to see it. And ultimately, it comes down to unbelief that what God has said, the promises he's made in his word are actually true and can be trusted. That's what every lack of faith comes down to. Unbelief in the promises of God that what God says is true actually isn't. There's your lack of faith. And so what, do, what forms does this take on? Maybe some of these will resonate in your own life as they did in mine this week. The fear of man, the fear of circumstance. Well, if I step out in faith, what's going to happen there? And, and maybe that anxiety and the worry just keeps you back in this place when God said something's true. And you're like, but I'm not seeing it, so I'm just going to stay back here. Maybe it's the unbelief manifested through the fear of man. The unbelief manifested through worry or anxiety or doubt that God will do what actually he said he's going to do. Maybe for some of us, it's apathy in our walk. Yeah, You know what? I don't really want to walk by faith. i got a comfortable life. I need something. I just go buy it. Why do I need to walk by faith? i just got a comfortable life and apathy in my walk. Maybe I'll get to the whole Jesus thing later. Or maybe for some of us, this was convicting for me this week. We just put so much faith in trusting other stuff. I said this in leader's prayer before the service. I'll say it again. I bet you, how many of us in this room right now, think about this, think about your past week. How many of us in this room right now put more faith in that chair you're sitting on that's gonna hold you up than you did in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords this week in the situation you face? And all God's people said, ouch. It's true. You didn't think whether that thing was gonna hold you up. You just sat down. And we're like, oh, is it gonna come through? Convicting. Needed conviction, right there. And so as a result of our lack of faith in this unbelief, we don't walk by faith. We miss out in seeing God being glorified through our faith, and ultimately we end up dishonoring him because his glory is on the line. And here in our text today from 2 Kings chapter 3, we see Elisha confronting a coalition of three armies with this very truth with this very truth that we need to walk by faith, and we are given three critical steps, loved ones, we must take each day if we are to walk by faith and not by sight in the situations we faith, face and ultimately see God's glory, power, and provision in and through our lives. You ready to fuel your faith? Here we go, here we go. In the honor of the authority of God's word, let's stand and we will read verses one to eight to set the scene of what's going on. 2 Kings chapter three, Verses 1 to 8, Moab rebels against Israel. Verse 1, in the 18th year of King Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 12 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth which he made Israel to sin he did not depart from it verse 4 now misha son or king of moab was a sheep breeder and he had to deliver to the king of israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100 uh, and the wool of 100,000 rams but when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram marched out of Samaria here comes the battle, mustering up the army, marched out of Samaria at that time, and mustered all of Israel, and he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, "The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to battle against Moab? And he said, "I'll go. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses." Then he said, "By which way shall we march?" Jehoram answered, by the way of the wilderness of Edom. Seen is set, battle lines being drawn, and all God's people said, amen. Have a seat, have a seat. Here we go. Well, to walk by faith, the first thing we see right here in verses one to three, you must pursue increasing holiness in God. If we are gonna walk by faith, we must pursue increasing holiness in God. Why? Here it is, because genuine faith always begins in the heart. Go figure, God goes back to the heart again. The wellspring of life itself. You must pursue increasing holiness in God. Genuine faith always begins in the heart. Look at verse 1 to 3. In the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria. And he reigned 12 years. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother. For he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin. He did not depart from that. Okay, let's get some context. Context is key. Recall. The kingdom of Israel in 931 BC had been divided into the northern and southern kingdoms. There, you'll see it right there. The green is the northern kingdom, and that's called Israel. The gray is the southern kingdom, that is called Judah. Capital city, Jerusalem in Judah. Capital city, Samaria in Israel. That happens in 931. Now, this is the year 853 BC. So like 80 years after that, the division has happened Elisha is in his first year as prophet after serving Elijah the last eight years. Remember, remember, he was uh, Elisha's servant. He washed his hands. He served him, he assisted him for eight years before taking the mantle of prophet of Israel. Now, they give us two kings. Here's the characters. Ready? Number one, King Jehoshaphat, verse one. He was king of Judah at the time, the southern kingdom. Now, here's what we have to understand about Jehoshaphat before we move any further. Jehoshaphat was a weak king. He was a weak king, but he was a faithful king who feared the Lord. He was weak, but he was faithful. He wanted to honor the Lord. And actually, he was one of the kings in the Davidic line that ultimately led to Jesus Christ. Okay, And so he was faithful, but he was weak. And here's the second character, King Jehoram, also known as, you'll read in 2 Kings, Joram, they called him. Joram king of the northern kingdom in Israel whose throne was in Samaria its capital city and he was the son as you see here of the wicked king Ahab who had just died. You know the whole prophets on Mount Carmel that Ahab and we're told that Jehoram was a horrible king who did evil. The word evil there in the text means uh, malignant things. Malignant things against the Lord and in the sight of the Lord. Now, notice verse 2 here where it says, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and mother, for he put away the pillar of Baal that his father had made. So here's what the Lord is saying. He wasn't a wicked king as his father Ahab and his mother Jezebel. He wasn't quite as bad as that because he put away The pillar of Baal that Ahab had set up most likely in the temple at Samaria for people to come and worship. Now he put it away. He actually didn't destroy it. He put it into a storage room. It resurfaces the end of two kings. What does that tell you about what we need to do and how we handle sin? Are we just trying to put it away for a season or are we asking God to destroy it? Are we willing to take steps to do it instead of just putting it aside for a while? It will resurface without the power of God defeating it. Now, now, here's the thing, Baal. Who's Baal? What is this Baal guy? Okay, well, Baal was the f- god of fertility of the earth. Fertility of the earth. He's the god of rain. He's the god of dew. He's a god of moisture who fertilizes the earth so the crops can grow. All right? And so what Baal, what, uh, Jeroboam had done before Ahab and then Ahab carried on and now Jehoram's carrying on is he has made a state religion of Baalism and even though Jehoram had put away this pillar of Baal he clung the the word clung there is the picture of a man clinging to his wife like this think about that this is what our heart does to sin without being redeemed in Jesus Christ he clings to it so here's Jehoram clinging to sin and putting his faith and worship in other things besides the Lord, as he should have. Okay, now, now, pause before we all get on Jehoram for doing what's evil. Where do you think we're going to go with this? Aren't we the same way? Aren't we the same way, loved ones? Just as Jehoram put away the big pillar of Baal, we can so easily just put away the, the big sins, the real noticeable things in our lives, yet we cling. We cling to quote-unquote smaller sins and we try to justify them as, yeah, I know I'm not as righteous as I should be, but hey, I'm not as evil as I should be, so I can still dally here. We do the same thing. Our heart is still easily deceived. And you have to remember, our heart's an idol factory. It wants to make idols out of the things around us ultimately against the worship of God. I mean, have you seen, you do this, the comparison trap? Well, I'm not as bad as that person. Have you seen that guy? I got it pretty good. I'm a little more holy than they are. Really? And then we're clinging to these sins and we fail to realize that each of these areas of sin that we are clinging to are a, do hin- you ever notice this? You know sin is a hindrance to your holiness? You know that? Let's get reminded of that today. Sin is a hindrance to our holiness in our lives and to faith, walking by faith, through our lives, in seeing the Lord show his faithfulness through them. You say, well, that's a big word to start out with for point one. You got something to back that up? Yes, I do. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, you'll see it on the screen. Here's God's admonition to the church, the believers. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the... Everyone say it together. Everyone say it. And for the... Holiness, that means increasingly being set apart, becoming more like Christ, without which no one will see. The word there, see, in the Greek means perceive or experience the Lord. I Think holiness is a big deal to God? Mm-hmm. But the enemy does a great job of crouching that in, well, just don't be so legalistic in your walk. You can compromise a little bit here. Just let your heart cling to that that idol. Let your heart cling to those things. Let your, let your heart cling to that thing that's stealing the fear of the Lord out of your life. It's not, it's not that big a deal, is it? Because we have to realize this, loved ones. The faith that we are putting into each of these sinful areas that we are clinging to in our lives, believing they will satisfy us, or deliver us, guess what that's doing? The faith we're putting into those things to deliver us, it is robbing us of the faith that we are to put in the Lord alone. The faith that we're putting into those things. sin. Hey, here's, here's, here's the reality. If I could sum it up and say this. Sin always will keep us walking by sight. Sin will never promote faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, ever. Sin will only promote faith in the things of the flesh. That's all, and that is what, like, think about this. Do you honestly believe, loved ones, do we honestly believe this morning that the devil wants us to increasingly grow in holiness? Any ideas? Any any takers? Put your hand up if you think you believe that. Great, great, right? He wants you to put more and more faith in the things of this world, not in the Lord, not in the Lord. He wants us to cling as much as possible to the things of this flesh, And have you put more and more faith in those things to satisfy you, the lust that you think is going to satisfy you, the food or the eating disorder you think is going to satisfy you, the fear of man that you think is going to win you favor with people, the anxiety that keeps you from... He wants you to put faith in all those things to deliver you, and they can't. Sin will always overpromise but it will always underdeliver. And know this, loved ones, when you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Every time. The little compromise on your finances, the little compromise in the workplace, the laughing at what God says is not funny. You choose to sin, you choose to suffer every time because that is what the devil has designed sin to do. To strip you of walking in holiness and therefore we're not walking in holiness and our heart is being overridden by all these things we're clinging to. It keeps us from walking in faith, which pleases the Lord. It's a deception, loved ones. It's a deception. So let me ask the question, what area or areas of sin are you clinging to right now? What are you clinging to that are keeping you from pursuing increasing holiness in the Lord and robbing you of your faith in him? Here, here, here. And and some of these ones, the devil's done a great job of deceiving us and thinking they're not a big deal. Here's one, complaining. What? Right here, guilty. Complaining. God hates complaining. If you don't believe me, I would encourage you to go to Numbers chapter 16 where he wipes out 14,700 Israelites with a plague because of their grumbling. God hates it. It dishonors him. But we so easily just, oh, but if they just do this, they gotta know, they, they got Stop clinging to that, loved ones. Stop it. Here's another one, here's another one came to mind, compromise integrity of finances. Maybe when you're, wa- when you're looking at the computer, what are you looking at? When you're looking at the television, what are you looking at? Oh, it's just a little, I'm in my room, it doesn't affect anyone else. Want to bet? It affects your walk with God. And sin always has collateral damage. Always. What are we looking at? Maybe we're sinning in our anger, believing, putting our faith in anger, believing that if I just get angry enough, I can control my kids. Maybe my spouse will listen to me if I just get angry enough. What about this? Lying. It's just a little white lie. No such thing. A lie is a lie. Let's call it what it is. Oh, just, just a little lie. Just a bending of the truth. It's not a totally a lie, is it? It's a lie. How about this? Here's another one we tend to compromise on all the time. Gossip and slander. Especially in the church. Nothing rips a church apart more than gossip. There's a reason why Proverbs said, a whisper separates close friends. We tend to say it's okay because I just need to tell everyone about that situation so they can quote-unquote pray for me. Really? Really? Gossip, slander, what about this? The addiction. The addiction to alcohol, the addiction to work the addiction to food, the addiction to other idols, the addiction to what we want instead of being faithful to what God's given. Man, does that cut to the heart. Maybe just me today. We have to understand this. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. Genuine faith begins in the heart. Whatever has a hold of your heart has a hold of your faith. genuine faith begins in the heart. Whatever has a hold of those areas in your heart has a hold of your faith in that area. And here's the thing. Your flesh will see to it that unless it's broken by the power of Jesus Christ, you will give your faith to that area every time. That anger will continue. The lust will continue. Every time. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as we sang so beautifully just before this, He came and died not only to forgive us of those sins, but to give us his power to defeat them in our lives as we repent of them, turn away from them, turn towards him, we cast them on him, saying, God, I'm done with this. I'm done clinging to this. It's time to burn the plow there. But I can't do it without you. I can't do it. And I cast them on you and say, Lord, please increase my faith in you that those things I'm looking to for satisfaction that really can't satisfy anything, that my faith would be, Jesus Christ will satisfy me. This will not. He is my greatest treasure. This is not. He is my greatest portion. This is not. The way to overcome sin, loved ones, is by superior pleasure and faith in Jesus Christ. And He is so willing when His people come to Him. You don't have to sit there in the spirit of condemnation. Oh man, you just read that whole list and that's me. No, 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 no. Listen, if you are in Jesus Christ, you have a Savior who went to the cross and paid the price for all of that. And not only paid the price to forgive you, but to redeem you. To see those chains, to see whatever your heart's clinging to, broken by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he promises to do it every time. But will you walk in faith to see it happen? Will you choose to believe that that moment you're tempted, when that temptation's coming, you say, I have a Savior who gave his life for that? I don't, I'm not a slave to that anymore. I'm going to him. He will satisfy. This will not. To walk by faith, I must pursue increasing holiness in God. To grow in holiness is to grow more like Christ. Here's the connection. To grow in holiness is to grow more like Christ. And to grow more like Christ is to grow more in our faith. Why? Hebrews 12.1 says he's the author and perfecter of it. As we grow in Christ, he's authoring new depths of faith. He's refining, he's perfecting the measure of faith that he's already given because faith is a gift from him in the first place. We can't even have it on our own. He's refining it. He's authoring new depths as we grow in our holiness more like him. That's why it begins in the heart. You must pursue increasing holiness in God. It's where it all starts, loved ones. Don't clang, don't tolerate that sin. And as you pursue holiness in God, here it is, you must seek the wisdom of God. You must seek the wisdom of God. Truth is this, God's word's my only hope. Say it again. God's word's my only hope. You must seek the wisdom of God. Look at verses 4 to 10 here. Now Misha, the king of Moab, was a sheep breeder. And he had to deliver to the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So King Jehoram marched out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. And he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to battle against Moab? And he said, I will go. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, By which way shall we march? Jehoram answered, By the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom. They just picked him up. And when they had made a circuitous march of seven days, there was no water for the army or for the animals that followed them. Verse 10, Then the king of Israel, that is Jehoram, said, Alas, the Lord, oh man, the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. Wow. Wow. See, the text now... (laughs) Look what's happened here. The text now describes the issue that the kings of Israel and Judah are initially confronted with. The king of Moab, Misha, he rebelled against them once the king of Israel, Ahab, had died. He saw his opportunity to get out from underneath the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, we need some clarity. Let's get that map up here, team. You see where Moab is? So go to the south of the Dead Sea. South of the Dead Sea, and it's to the right there, that little blue country. It says Moab, Okay. Alright? That's where Moab is. Now we have to understand Moab was a vassal state of Israel. What's a vassal state? It's this. They were subject under the authority of Israel. And Israel, in response, let them use that land, stay on that land, they wouldn't invade them. And they offered to protect them if they paid the annual tribute each year to them. Okay? So in this case, they needed to give the northern kingdom of Israel 100,000 sheep and rams. And Israel depended on this for economy, huge, right? So the fact that Misha all of a sudden decides to rebel and take 200,000 rams, that's a big deal. That's going to be an economy hit majorly to the northern kingdom. So in response, King Jehoram rallies his entire army. He musters them all together and calls on King Jehoshaphat from Judah, okay? Israel calls on Judah. Jehoshaphat's in Jerusalem. Now look at this, look at this and tells him the situation and asks if he would go to war with him to teach those Moabites a lesson. He goes, hey, we need to go give some serious damage to this nation. They're rebelling against me. I don't want to lose control of that, and I need you to come with me because we're going to make sure they know not to do this again. Now, keep the map up for these. In response, now, now notice Jehoshaphat's response Without seeking the Lord, Jehoshaphat, there in verse 7, says, I will go. He agrees to join Jehoram immediately. Faithful king, yoking with a wicked king. How do you think this is going to go? Not so smart. He tells him he's going, and he immediately asks him which way they're going to go to get there. And Jehoram tells him they're going to get there by the longest way around. Through Edom see where Edom is just below Moab right there Judah they're going to start in Samaria and march all the way around the Dead Sea come up to Edom now we must understand this why why wouldn't he just take the northern route because Edom was a vassal state of Judah so Judah controlled Edom and would give them free pass to the southern border of Moab which was not as heavily guarded as its northern borders and so the result here they're faced with a dilemma They head off together with their armies, pick up the king of Moab, get there, and realize uh, after they make this circuitous march around the Dead Sea for seven days, they end up running out of water. No more water. Jehoram, notice what he does in verse 10? Look at what he does in verse 10. The king of Israel, to save face, he says this. Alas, it's the Lord who called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. It's God's fault. It's God's fault we ran away. It's not my fault. It's not mine. Now, (laughs) look at this. Verse 11 and 12. Here's Jehoshaphat's response. And Jehoshaphat said, is there no prophet? of the Lord here, through whom we may inquire of the Lord. Then one of the king of Israel's servants answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here, who poured water on the hands of Elisha. Verse 12. And Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord's with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to get him. Finally, when they're at the end of themselves, no other hope, everybody's about to die Jehoshaphat clues in and realizes, uh, hey, uh, we actually haven't sought the Lord on this. If this was actually a good idea. Seven days in. uh, We didn't seek the Lord. So he and the kings of Edom and Israel go to meet Elisha. That's why verse 11, you see the prophet Elisha. See, back in the Old Testament, God used prophets to deliver his word. We didn't have the full canon of scripture. So he selected men and went to deliver his word through and so it says the word of the Lord's with them. So they head off to get Elijah, and when they get to him, here's his response. Ready? Here's Elisha's response. And remember the background of these kings. Verse 13. Elisha, they come. They're like, hey, you're our only hope, man. We need to hear from the Lord. Here's what he said. Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? That's not going well. That, that's really not going well. He's like, hey, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father, and the prophets of your mother, or the prophets of Bill. They've been working real good for you so far, right? He's he he's being sarcastic. He's like, why don't you go to them? Why well, don't you go to the prophets of your mother? But the king of Israel said to him, no, no, here's Jehoram. He said, no, it is the Lord who has called these three kings to give them an the hand of He's blaming God again. How do you think Elisha takes that? Look at verse 14. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I have regard, that is respect, for Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would neither look at you nor see you. (laughs) Boom! Look at that word. Love Elisha. He's just like, yeah. I'm not looking at you, man. He says, what have I to do with you means this. We have nothing in common, you and me. I worship the Lord, you're worshiping false gods. We have nothing in common. What do I have to do with you? You know, he sarcastically tells Johoram, go seek those prophets of Baal that his father and mother worship to help him if they're so powerful. Isn't, I mean, think about this. Isn't your God the God of fertility? If you need some, this is why it's so important to understand. Don't you think if you need some water, your fertility God could give it to you? Because isn't that his specialty? Exchange going on here. He's saying this. If I could summarize in today's language, here's Elisha. Kings come. Hey, we need a word for oh oh now you want some God. Okay. Now you want a little taste of God. Oh, okay, okay. You've been brought to the end of yourself. Your plans didn't work out. Your God of fertility, let's just call him what it is. He's useless. He's useless, and now you want some God. Hmm. You're not loyal to God. You just want him for emergencies to help you bail out and make the best of a foolish decision. Now you want some God. Huh. Elisha's not taking this so well. And after Jehoram says another time in verse 13 that it's the Lord's fault that he got into this mess, Elisha says, if it wasn't for the faithfulness of Jehoshaphat who was standing with him, remember? Faithful king, loved the Lord. And who was standing beside Jehoram, Elisha wouldn't even look at him or consider answering him. Why? Because how dare you accuse the Lord of evil intention? How dare you slander my Savior? I wouldn't even look at you. Think God wants his honor respected? Think his glory is a big deal to him? He's jealous for it. Time out. Let's just recap what's just happened. It's pretty significant. Here's their route. Next map. Follow the solid red line from Samaria all the way down. So they start out. There's Samaria. They're all going after Misha. They hit Jerusalem. Pick up that army of Judah. They go down to Judah. They're rounding the Dead Sea. There's that circuitous march. They hit Edom. And that's where they are right now, the brook of Zered, that little river right there. They pick up the king of Edom. Now, now here's what this land looks like. It's one thing to see it on a map like that. But as I used to live in Israel, took a lot of pictures and wanted to emphasize what they're walking through. Look at this. Here's the Judean desert that they're walking through. And go to the next one. There's the desert that they're walking through. That's, don't be fooled, that's the Dead Sea. Did you know the Dead Sea is 10 times more saltier than ordinary seawater? And if you tried to drink it, it would kill you faster than if you didn't drink it. It would dehydrate you so fast. You can't even sink in that water. Like I tried. You just bob because the salt content is so much. Right? This is where they're walking. And they knew this. They knew this. And then here's where you end up. There's the mountains of Edom right there. They're red. They're beautiful, but there's the mountains of you know, How much fresh water did you see there? Anyone? None. None. See, here's the reality. Think of the think of the situation. You've got three massive armies, thousands of men, animals, and livestock going through. And by the way, did you know the Dead Sea is the lowest point on Earth? Did you know that? But what that does that makes it one of the driest places on Earth. This is why we need context, right? You have Thousands of men marching down, livestock, animals, through one of the most dry and barren places on earth, and no fresh water available on the way for you to drink. Good plan, bad plan. Everyone says, bad plan. There's no fresh water on the way. And you're going, but this is your thinking. When you get into that situation, if you're not think, thinking, seeking the Lord, you're in trouble. Was this a wise thing to do? No. Do you think maybe? Do you think maybe, loved ones, that Jehoram and Jehoshaphat and the king of Israel, they just jumped into action a little too early and should have sought the Lord, who has perfect wisdom, to see if this was a wise plan instead of blaming him when their plan didn't work out. Can we agree, just from looking at this, these were the most experienced commanders in the army, and they're making decisions like this. Can we just agree, loved ones, that relying on the flesh is a bad idea? Thumbs up, good idea, thumbs down, bad idea. Yeah, oh, a little more thumbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, yes. We need to agree that relying on the flesh is a bad idea. In fact, take it one step further: relying on our flesh makes us dumb. That's all it does. We think we're so wise. We think we've got the, the, uh, the opportunity in front of us and we know how everything's gonna work out. We think we're so wise, so much confidence in ourselves and we do the same things, loved ones. We get an idea in our head. We jump into a plan. We don't truly seek the Lord. We rely on our own ideas, our own wisdom, experience of ourselves or others of what we want to do or think is right and then when it doesn't work out, we get mad, frustrated, and disappointed at God and blame him for not blessing our pursuit. It, it couldn't be, loved ones, that we just made a foolish decision, right? It has to be God's fault because we've got the line on what wisdom should look like. We do this all the time, all the time. And we have to realize this, loved ones, you see it on the screen. God is not obligated to bless that which he's not commissioned, God is not obligated to bless and to provide for that which he hasn't commissioned in your life. That he said, This is what I need you to do. This is what I'm calling you to do. If we've just jumped into the fight, God's not obligated to bless that, loved ones. If he didn't send you to it, he's not obligated to bless you in it. That's the reality. The truth is, we are way too confident in ourselves, way too much faith. Walking by sight says, I see the situation, I know what's best, I've got the plan, I'm doing it my way, and I'm going to try to get God's blessing for it. Walking by faith says this. God sees the situation better than I do. He knows what's best. He's got a plan and I must humble myself and seek him through his word for his wisdom to do it his way. Why? Because that's the way he promises to bless. Every time. And God will not conform himself to our sightly fleshly agendas because our faith in him is on the line and ultimately that means so is his glory. Won't conform himself to our agendas. See, uh, one commentator, Ralph Davis, put it this way. You see it on the screen. Jehoram wanted to use the Word of God in the moment, but not submit to it long term. How about us today? Don't we like to just go to the Word of God for a quick emergency? Hey, just need a quick fix instead of submitting to it long term? Is that us today? Is seeking God's wisdom above all, all else our first pursuit every day? Growing in our love for the Lord and a love for his wisdom? Or is it your last resort after you've tried your thing? Just look at this. This was very convicting for me this week. Look at back at your last week. Does it reflect the priority of seeking the Lord through his word in personal study, in prayer? in humbling yourself and getting counsel from others who fear the Lord and are seeking God consistently through his word, not just who attend church, but you know fear the Lord and are actually seeking him and can give counsel from him and are walking with a faith that pleases him. Just look at your last week. What decisions or circumstances are you facing right now where you're wanting God to bless that which you have not truly sought him in? Maybe a lot of students here, maybe for your schooling, Maybe for rushing into purchases with your finances that you have not sought the Lord on. And he's not obligated to bless that. Maybe decisions with your family planning and and timing for what you want. Are we seeking the wisdom of God over the wisdom of flesh? Maybe with our job. And you find yourself getting angry, frustrated, complaining, or even despondent and asking, why isn't God fulfilling my plan and my time and how I want? Hey, hey, loved ones, what's your next step? Here it is. Start intentionally getting before the Lord, opening his word, and asking the Holy Spirit for the wisdom to follow him. Because here's the truth, loved ones. God's word is our only hope for any wisdom from God in this world. It is our only hope. Walking by faith means we must cling to it each day, not to our sin, to the word. Seek God's wisdom with all we have or all we have to go on is our flesh and that never goes well. Why? Because you and I were never meant to be the objects of our faith. To walk by faith you must pursue increasing holiness in God. You must seek the wisdom of God and above all and from this to walk by faith. Here it is. You seek the wisdom of God pursuing the holiness in God and now look at this. Here's what it all boils down to. You must believe God's promises from his word and act upon them. Believe God's promises and act upon them. Truth is this, key truth, I must trust God's promises more than my perceptions. Wow. Yes. I must trust God's promises more than my perceptions. Look at verse 15 to 19. So Elisha goes on to say he's just rebuked Jehoram. He's just rebuked the king of Edom. And he goes on to say, but now, here's the big word, ready? Bring me a musician. That's the word? Bring me a musician. Uh, we're dying. Bring me some music. What? Read on. And when the musician played, most likely a harpist, by the way, when the musician played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind nor rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. Love this. Look at this. This is a light thing in the sight of the Lord. And. He will also give the Moabites into your hand and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall fell every good tree and stop up all the springs of water and ruin every good piece of the land of the Moabites with stones. (laughs) See, after agreeing to seek the Lord on behalf of the three kings, Elisha asks for a musician to come and play for him. Why? Why did he do this? Here, here's why. So he could compose himself, And set his mind on the Lord through prayer. That's what the Hebrew word means there. Prayer and praise. Through prayer and praise to receive God's word. Because he has no wisdom on his own. Of course he has to seek the Lord. Through prayer and praise to receive God's word amidst the... Think about the chaos in the camp going on right now. Live in the text. Think about, "Ah, what are we going to do? We're going to die. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the confusion, he goes to prayer and praise in the Lord. And sure enough, as the musician continued to play, the word of God came to him. Now, that begs the question, right here. Begs the question. When you're faced with a situation or trial, how much time do you spend worshiping as opposed to worrying? Getting anxious, getting fearful. How much time do you spend worshiping, drawing near to the Lord, to clear your mind? and set your mind on things above and not on things of man. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Drawing near to God in prayer and praise. How much time do we spend worshiping as opposed to worrying? See, worship sets our mind and heart to God, whereas worry sets it only to our flesh. You know, Charles Spurgeon said this, anxiety, he does, it does nothing to empty today of its sorrow, it only empties tomorrow of its strength. That's absolutely true. Worship or worry? Where are you at right now? Now look at, we see two promises that God gives here. Two promises, amazing promises. Promise number one, look at 16 and 17. And he said this, Thus says the Lord, I will make this dry stream bed full of pools. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind or rain, but that stream bed shall be filled with water, so that you shall drink, you, your livestock, and your animals. Look what he does there. God promises he's going to make the dry stream bed full of pools. Now, the word pools there in Hebrew means ditches or cisterns. He's not talking about puddles. He's talking about God is going to make sure ditches are dug in cisterns and channels so when the water comes, it's not just going to run off in some big torrid. It's going to be gathered so the people can drink. That's what the word pools means, ditches, cisterns. All right? And they won't see—here's the thing—they won't see any indication that water's coming— verse 17. They're not even going to have a hint. You'll see no indication of wind or rain, but he promises that stream bed will be filled with water the next morning. Think if you're the kings right now. It, the sun's blazing on you. You're in the driest one of the driest parts of the world. There's no fresh water, and then God gives you this. What are you thinking? Do you honestly think that's going to happen? There's not even a hint. There's not even a cloud. Enough water for one person, let alone thousands. Adding on animals. And then look at this. Then he goes on to promise two. He doesn't stop there. 18 and 19. This is a light thing. In the sight of the Lord, he will also give the Moabites into your hand, and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, and shall fell every good tree, stop up all the springs of water, ruin every good piece of land with stones. See, God goes on to say that this is such, filling that desert with water and digging ditches for 3,000 plus men, maybe 20,000 plus men and their animals, is such a light thing for him. That, in addition to filling one of the driest areas on Earth with water and saving every one of those men and animals, God promised to give the Moabites into their hands. He's like, oh, "Yeah, I'll take care of the water, but uh, here I'll give you your battle plan too, and I'll give you your enemies, because that's such a small thing for me." Are you, are you tracking with what God just promised? Now, here, illustration. Look, let's go back. That's where they're standing. That's where they're standing. How are you feeling right now if you're one of these kings? You're desperate to hear a word from God. It's literally your only hope you have left. You have nothing else to go on, and if it isn't good news, hey, guess what? You're all dead. You will have a big dehydrated massacre on your hands. And that's not going to go well for your legacy. Then this prophet, <laughs> then this prophet asks for some serenading just give me a little music guys and comes out with this word from the Lord promising not only will the valley be full of ditches by the next morning but he's gonna fill every one of those ditches full of water even though there's no clouds by the way so that all of the thousand men animal and livestock be able to drink and have more than enough and on top of that it's such a light thing he's gonna give you all his enemies all your enemies into your hands and, and gave you the battle plan question would you believe it would you just be on it, one. be honest the Lord said that. You looked at those circumstances. Your perception of that situation was quite different. Would you believe that? Would you believe that what God has promised in his word will happen even though you don't have a hint of seeing how it will? Would you wait for him or try to just go do rush ahead and do something else yourself based on what you can see? Would you wait for him or rush ahead and do something that will hurt you and everybody else around you. See, God's faithfulness often looks like foolishness to our flesh every time. See, we must understand, loved ones, as we start to land the plane. Here it is. We must understand this. We serve an omnipotent God who has all authority over heaven and earth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's completely transcendent and yet completely imminent and knows the deepest recesses of our heart and he can do whatever he wants. He says one word, the rocks cry out. He says one word, the mountains quake. And he can do more in five seconds than you or I can in five days, five months or five years of striving on our own strength. If he wants a cloud to be in the sky, he puts it there. If he wants water to fill the land, it fills it. If he wants trenches dug, they're dug. Because he has all authority and all creation worships him. That's our God. That is our God. And look, here it is. See it on the screen. Trust God's promises in a situation you face more than your perceptions of it. Every single time. Did you know your mind has fallen to, by the way? It's part of our flesh. Your mind is fallen. Think about that. You must trust God's promises more than our perceptions. And you say, wait a second. You say, well, that's easy for you to say. Hey, actually, loved ones, it's not easy for me to say. It takes faith to walk in faith. And I didn't say it. He did. Look at Psalm 1830. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. Every time. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. Question Are you walking by faith or by sight? Choosing to believe God's word and acting upon it in His power, no matter how I feel, because God promises a good result and gets the glory. Are you walking by faith or walking by sight? The question is never this, church. Will God be faithful to his promises? The question is, will you and I be faithful to walk in faith by his power, to see it happen? He says this. If I could sum that whole section up, it'd be this. God says this. You show me your faith with the measure I've given you, and I'll show you my faithfulness. You show me your faith with the measure you. I've given you, and I'll show you my... You shut the computer off, I'll show you satisfaction in me. You choose humility over anger with your spouse, I'll show you what unity looks like. Will we walk by faith? Reminds me of Hudson Taylor said this missionary to China who I think knew quite a bit about walking by faith. He said, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. How do we know? Here's some proof. Finish it, verse 20. The next morning, about the time of the offering of the sacrifice, behold, water came from the direction of Edom till the country was filled with water. What an awesome God. And you see, God's grace poured out even on his enemies, the ones who were worshiping other gods. His love and grace filled the country, did dug the ditches, filled them, and they were saved. And just as God's gracious provision of water was given to these three armies that saved their lives and gave them victory over their enemies, God's grace offers us another victory today over our enemy, the devil, and over sin and death through the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ, who, If we confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And here it is, John 7, 38. Out of that salvation, rivers of living water of the Holy Spirit will flow in and through you that gives peace, wisdom, comfort, healing, help, grace, forgiveness, Faith, cleansing from sin, strength, hope, and victory. Rivers of living water. In Christ alone, we can walk by faith and be given the strength to pursue increasing holiness in him, to seek the wisdom of him, and to believe his promises and act upon them. And we say this, apart from him, we can do nothing. But in him, all God's promises are yes and amen. The question is, will you believe it?